You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to another edition of the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead on all things in politics and government in North Carolina. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We have an interesting show. The news uh, never stops, and uh, there's probably more going on than we have time to, to uh, talk about unless you want us to just blather on for uh, a long time, which we won't do, we promise. So let's talk about, uh, we've got some politics to talk about. We've got uh, comings and goings in the legislature. Of course, the Board of Governors is meeting as we record this. We'll mention that. Um, it's hard sometimes to sort out these things uh, as they're going on. And so, uh, of course, uh, tune in to the newsobserver.com or read the paper. Um, we're following a lot of things. But uh, let's uh, bring in Colin Campbell of the News and Observer and Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. An interesting week as the top of the tickets fill in in some respects. Craig Jarvis, uh, let's start with you first. Uh, Roy Cooper, as expected, announced uh, that he was running for governor. Tell us about it. He did. He made the announcement out in Rocky Mount at a community college. They crammed in several hundred uh, Democrats into a fairly small room, which made it very loud and very festive. And uh, as someone who covers the legislature, I don't think I've seen that many Democrats in one place in a long time. Um, it was very uh, amped up. Uh, Cooper was it was uh, kind of bound, bounding around the stage, a lot of energy. Uh, but it was only a 13-minute speech. He didn't have a lot of specifics about exactly what he would do. He mentioned education. But sort of laid out this theme of uh, we've got to get North Carolina headed back in the direction it was. It has this history of a progressive southern state that's invested in uh, education and growth and and the message is the uh, Republican Party's derailed that. Uh, we've got to get headed back where we were. Interestingly, the Democrat or the Republican Party saying saying the same thing. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, they picked up this back to the future theme, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but. They're saying, yeah, Democrats are we're always taking the state in the wrong direction, and we need to change that direction. So that kind of sets the, the basic tone for what we're going to be seeing in the coming months. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, we will hear in a minute from Andy Taylor, a political science professor at the NC State University, uh, with a little bit of analysis on that. Uh, Colin Campbell... Uh, the other big uh, top-of-the-ticket race to fill in was the U.S. Senate race. Now, we've heard a lot about a lot of different uh, candidates um, over the year here, and uh, but it looks like um, Deborah Ross is who the Democrats are going to really get behind, or is that uh, not right? Best we can tell, she's the front runner for now with the two candidates in the race. It's between her and the primary and Chris Ray, who is the mayor of Spring Lake, which is a small town uh, near Fayetteville. So he doesn't have nearly the uh, profile that she does. The one person we're waiting on right now is uh, State Senator Joel Ford from Charlotte, who's more of a, a moderate, I would say, than Deborah Ross is. He says he's still considering whether he wants to run. If he runs, there may be somewhat of a, co uh, a contested primary between the two of them. Uh, if he doesn't, then I think Deborah Ross is indeed your front runner, and she's already uh, rolled out her campaign this week uh, with a, a midnight video sort of introducing herself to the state and highlighting some of the uh, economic security themes that she says are going to be a big part of her campaign. The Republican Party hitting her back as if she's the front runner for sure, uh, saying that she's too liberal based on her record in the legislature and uh, also criticizing her work uh, as the head of the American Civil Liberties Union. 
Interesting. She didn't, uh, in any of the rollout of her announcement, I don't think I saw the words of uh, ACLU. No, she's not uh, mentioned that, although she has, she sort of subtly gets at it. She talks about defending the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and I think that's a, a reference to her time at the ACLU, but uh, I think she doesn't want to get too much into the details of that, because the ACLU does defend folks who are on death row, and uh, some of the folks in the middle and on the right in the state are not thrilled with that activity. Interesting. She also said she uh, is going to, uh, she doesn't like labels. That was kind of one of her responses. Yeah, when I asked her about the criticism that she's too liberal, she said she doesn't believe believe in labels. I so I think at some that's point she's going to have to come up with some kind of labels to ex- explain how what she stands for. So Yeah, we'll she's got a long record of the legislature and, and many bills that she's been involved with that people are going to want to talk about as she runs. Well, I don't think there's any doubt she comes out of the liberal uh, wing of, of the Democratic Party. Uh, and actually, I talked about that earlier with uh, Andy Taylor uh, at NC State. So let's uh, go to, uh, we recorded this um, ahead of time. And so let's uh, listen in uh, to his thoughts and then uh, we'll come back. And we welcome to the Domecast uh, Andy Taylor, a political science professor from NC State. Andy Taylor, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andy. Really glad to uh, hear from you. So one of the big stories of the week, of course, was the top of the ticket uh, filling in. That's something we uh, have been discussing on the show here and uh, wanted to hear your thoughts. So let's start, uh, of course, not at the very top, the presidential race still unfolding, but there is more clarity now in the U.S. Senate race, uh, Deborah Ross. Uh, joining, and of course Richard Burr, the incumbent. Uh, don't want to leave out Chris Ray, another Democrat who has announced. But uh, Andy, I just wonder if you might give us your assessment of sort of uh, is this is this likely to be, uh, you know, the field? Uh, Deborah Ross, uh, Richard Burr. Is that probably what we're going to end up seeing? I think so, Andy. I think so. You know, we've we've had a conspicuous lack of prominent uh, Democrats putting their hat in the ring for the U.S. Senate race. Um, a number have, uh, have passed um, uh, on the race, uh, including, for example, uh, State Treasurer Janet Cowell, who, who announced that she wasn't running for re-election this week anyway, but she's uh, obviously uh, uh, before that passed on the race. So it was, it was getting to the stage where it was unclear um, who was going to be the Democratic nominee, and, and there really didn't seem to be um, anybody with with the kind of credentials necessary to win uh, a statewide race against an incumbent U.S. senator. Deborah Ross um, seems to be, and this might be unfair, but it seems to be by default, uh, that candidate, um, and obviously she does have uh, the kinds of credentials um, that that could challenge. Uh, she's been uh, she was a member of the General Assembly uh, in, on the House side for ten years. Um, she's a, a prominent uh, attorney and has uh, formerly been the head of the state ACLU. So she, you know, she clearly has the the bona fides that I think Democrats feel can at least give uh, Richard Burr a run for his money. 
um, uh, whether that uh, can, they can be parlayed into a strong winning position is, is another matter. But at least the Democrats have a candidate now. And, of course, uh, is it fair to say Deborah Ross comes out of the more liberal uh, wing of the Democratic Party? You know, we've heard Heath Schuler at one point, and, uh, you know, there's some others uh, that sort of came and went, even Kay Hagan. Uh, does, uh, you know, maybe in a primary uh, Deborah Ross will will garner support, but uh, I wonder in a general uh, election uh, uh, up against yeah. Richard Burr, how do you see her prospects? Yeah, and you mentioned two of the other kind of prominent uh, Democrats who quite a long time ago said that they weren't going to run in Heath Schuler and Kay Hagan. Yeah, no, I think you're right, Andy. I think she does come from that wing of the party. And, and not just that, but someone whose background is not in economic issues either. It's clearly in sort of the the uh, 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 sort of social uh, issues, um, not least from a time uh, as head of the ACLU in the state, but also from um, the kinds of policy interests that she had while she was in the General Assembly. And so that is, uh, I think, uh, different um, in some ways for a Democrat who's going to be the nominee in such a prominent statewide race as a U.S. Senate race. Um, you know, and so it may, I don't know whether it portends the kinds of top of the uh, ballot Democratic candidates we're going to see in the future. Um, but it certainly is, um, she certainly represents a, a, a change from what we would have seen, I think, if we'd have had someone like Shula, if we'd had someone like Hagen, if we'd had someone like Cal. Well, and and we just came out of a, a Senate race, what, uh, the, a year ago, I guess, and uh, Kay Hagan really made that a referendum on the Republican uh, legislature, you know, a state level, whereas, you know, Ross uh, Burr, it, wouldn't it be harder for her to make a, you know, make that race into a uh, a referendum on the Republicans in the uh, state? Instead, sh it'll be more of a federal uh, race. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One is obviously Hagan's opponent was Tom Tillis, who was the Speaker of the House, um, and obviously Burr has been in Washington a long time. Uh, what well, can't say? It's going to be harder for her to say. Well, he's. He's very much connected to the Republican leadership in the General Assembly. And the other reason is because the, the conversation is going to be different. Um, the presidential race is going to really be dominating uh, the conversation in the state. And I think, um, with, all, with all due respect to, to Representative Ross, I think the governor's race is probably the one that the Democrats have greater hopes for. And that race is probably going to be more competitive, and a lot of the narrative is going to be driven by that as well. So it's going to be hard for her to say, look at this race, and it's really about uh, the Republican leadership in the General Assembly, which I know uh, most uh, uh, North Carolinians don't like. Um, she's going to be uh, fighting this race on a very different kind of terrain that Hag than Hagen did in, in, in 2014. Well, that will be interesting to watch. You mentioned, of course, the governor's race. That's the other one that saw uh, the ticket uh, fill in, not... Uh, a surprise, but uh, Roy Cooper, the Attorney General, announcing that he is indeed uh, going to challenge Governor Pat McCrory, and that will be a referendum on the Republican side if you are Roy Cooper, and if you're Governor McCrory, you'll be trying to say uh, and, and explain the accomplishments of the, of the recent period. How do you assess 
uh, that race? Well, it's going to be very close, Andy. I don't think there's there's any doubt about it. I think it's fair to say that although the state has possibly become uh, red, more red over the, the past sort of five or six years, particularly in elections for state office, it's still uh, a purple state. And I think, you know, it's it's clear that um, the race is going to be close. Um, a lot will be uh, affected. It will be affected quite a bit by the dynamics of the presidential race in North Carolina as well. And of course, we don't know who those candidates are going to be yet. With regards to how the campaign is going to unfold, I, th- I think you're correct. I think the narrative on the Democratic side is going to be to um, say, look, we've had, uh, and we saw this in, with Cooper's announcement, um, the, 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 the Republicans have taken us too far from our core values. Um, and that, you know, regardless of what you think of Pat McCrory um, as, a, as an individual, as a governor, um, he, he really is beholden to these uh, extremists in the General Assembly, and only a Democratic governor can keep them in check. McCrory, on the other hand, is going to, in many ways, try to reprise the strategy of 2012, which is to focus on him as a, as a leader, as a manager, as a problem solver, um, rather than a partisan or an ideologue. Uh, and he's going to talk, as you noted in the question, about not just his, uh, in 2012, he talked about his accomplishments as, accomplishments as mayor of Charlotte. Now he's going to talk about his accomplishments as governor of the state, and that is going to be the focus of, of his campaign. And so you're going to have these dueling narratives, and um, uh, obviously they're going to try to make them hard and and, and, and forceful. Um, one of the, the kind of wild cards here is how the dynamics of the presidential race is going to affect that. Now, in recent years, we've seen, uh, of course, in 2012, uh, it was all Republicans winning in North Carolina uh, at the top of the ticket. There has been um, a split. I'm trying to think. Uh, I sort of didn't prepare for this, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking back to '04 when uh, Bush and Burr uh, you know, one in North Carolina, but Mike Easley uh, right. was able to win. So we have seen uh, ticket splitting, but but it's your sense that, that and of course the flip of that would be 08. Yeah, and which was the Democrat where the Democrats ran the table. They just swept it up, and you yeah. saw how Bev Perdue really benefited from the Obama and, yeah. and really Kay Hagan as well. So yes, yeah. that that's what you're meaning. The how the presidential uh, piece of this really uh, does have an effect down down the way. Yeah, and we're talking. We've been talking in the last few cycles about North Carolina being a, a battleground state. I'm not sh- quite sure we're a real true deep purple battleground state but what democrats i think will be hoping is that the race the presidential race um is is uh, obviously that the democrats is going to win um but they also need the democrat even if the democrat isn't going to win they they really need it to be close i think if you have nationally um a republican presidential candidate uh, getting towards 52 53 percent of the national popular vote, I think that starts to make it very, very difficult in in the current in current North Carolina political climate for a Democratic gubernatorial candidate to win. The days in which you know it didn't matter 
what happened in the presidential race because the state was different. You know, North Carolinians voted uh, presidential level in a way that had no bearing on how they were going to choose their gubernatorial candidate. I think that date, those days are over. And so, you know, we just we sort of saw that in 2012, where although President Obama was re-elected, um, Romney did well in the state, and 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 it really um, it really helped uh, uh, Pat McCrory. So I, you know, they they've got the Democrats have got to hope that um, they the the candidate that they nominate the presidency, uh, how, even if they, if that person loses in North Carolina, that, that they do okay, because the, the Roy Cooper's, I think Roy Cooper's um, prospects are in large part shaped by that. And of course, Roy Cooper will be out trying to build uh, re- name recognition. A lot of the polls that, that we see, uh, uh, even though he's been around quite a while, and surely listeners to this program know who Roy Cooper is, uh, it does seem like there's a lot of people who will just be getting to know him over the next year, and uh, and probably the same even with Governor McCrory, right? People yep. show up every four years, and they make a decision in the final months of that campaign. It is interesting that Cooper, you know, he's in his fourth term as Attorney General, um, does have uh, relatively low name recognition. In, in other states, historically, the Attorney General's position has been a really good one to run from govern- for governor from, because as Attorney General... You kind of are able to pick these sort of cause celebs uh, in the uh, take cases to court and, and really show yourself as a champion of the general interest of the of the state against uh, these bad guys, um, whoever they might be, uh, criminals, uh, uh, negligent businesses, or what have you. And so it has been the kind of position that really helps you if you want to run for governor. But Cooper has been hasn't been that sort of hard charging media uh, loving attorney general. He's been very quiet and and working behind the scenes. And it'll be interesting to see whether uh, it's, it's he may re- might regret that kind of being that kind of attorney general. Um, after the after the gubernatorial elections over in November of next year. Yeah, well, we of course will be watching, and I'm sure we'll check back in uh, as the campaign unfolds. Andy Taylor at NC State University, uh, we really thank you for your time and most importantly for your insights. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andy. And so there was Andy Taylor, as you heard him. Uh, talking about the you know top of the ticket at least uh, in North Carolina, uh, as as you heard me mention the presidential race still filling in. So uh, we were glad to have him on, and let's now hear from Benjamin Brown of the new of the Insider. Sorry, Ben <laughs> and uh, Patrick uh, Gannon of the Insider. Uh, you know, really wanted to talk a, a little bit about uh, the comings and goings uh, on, on the uh, election trail, the campaign trail, if you will. It's almost like the legislature was in town so long they left and there's all this pent-up uh, energy and a lot of decisions being made in a quick period of time. Of course, the March, they set the March uh, primary, so that's forced a lot of uh, action. Uh, Patrick Gannon, uh, bring us up to speed on some of the notable 
uh, decisions that have been made, and, and we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, so there, there's started to be a lot of movement uh, in, in the political scene at the legislature. Um, with the earlier primary, the, the filing date starts uh, December 1st for candidates. We're going to start hearing a lot of people saying they're either running for sure or they're not running for sure. We're starting to see challengers uh, emerge both for primaries and for uh, general elections. So I guess the the biggest news, though, has been some of the the uh, soon to be defectors from the House, from the House and Senate, people who say they're not going to run again, uh, including some long, long timers, uh, Representative Paul Stam from Apex. Um, announced as the uh, legislature adjourned for the year that he that he that 2016 would be his last year. Uh, there's already people, uh, at least one person, who said she's interested in that seat. Um, Rep- Representative Jacqueline Schaefer from down in the Charlotte area. Um, she was a, a big um, pro-life, pro-gun advocate, Republican. Um, in the House, she said she's also one of the younger members of the House. Um, there seems to be a trend towards losing some of the younger members of the House. Brian Brown, Representative Brian Brown, another Republican from Pitt County, went to work for uh, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. So he's already gone. Um, and I think Ben could, could uh, you know, mm-hmm. tell you a few more yeah, folks. Yeah, there's, and of course, um, outside of the legislature, I guess I should mention Janet Cowell making news, deciding not to run. Uh, June Atkinson saying that she was in. So you're starting to see that also at the Council of State. But let's keep it back on the legislature. Uh, ben Brown, who who else are we, where else are we seeing movement? Yeah, well, one of the earlier ones, this was actually back in May, was uh, Stan Bingham. Oh, um, sure, yeah. Senator Stan Bingham, Republican from Davidson County. He said it's time to move on in general. It, it was actually... Uh, um, you know, I, I sat down with him in, in his office the day when word was spreading that he wasn't going to run again. When I asked him why, he gave a pretty lengthy answer that incorporated the the tough nature of working in the General Assembly, his longevity there. He's been there since uh, I think 2000, and um, talked about his achievements. Said he's been a you know he's proud that he's been a consumer protection legislature. That's how he's built himself. But he also talked about the ugliness of politics. He was really kind of over it. Not you know. Not just the nastiness, but also how easy it is to be nasty and anonymous in the social media age when it comes to politics. Um, that wasn't necessarily the key to his resignation, and he will serve out the remainder of his term. But uh, there's a big ball of reasons why he's ready to step down, including his age. He was um, at the time I talked to him, which was just a few months ago. He was 69 years old, um, which also brings us to Representative Leo Daughtry, uh, who is about to turn 75. He's the Republican of uh, Smithfield. Uh, I think he's been there since the late 80s. 89. Um, a lot of history there, even running for governor at one point. Uh, he did run for House Speaker this past time around, so I'm, I'm not sure what, you know, what it would have done to his situation if it went his way. It, of course, went the way of Tim Moore, but um, there's a lot of institutional knowledge stepping down in Leo Daughtry. Well, and so, you know, it, it may just be, you know, the way the cycle works, right? And uh, Republicans have been back in charge in the legislature really for uh, since 2010 and so it's just you know it'll be six years and, and and I don't think there's any real rhyme or reason to all of this at once but I do wonder uh, Patrick Gannon uh, you know the Democrats have a stated goal especially in the House of trying to pick up four uh, seats do we have any sense of these various uh, departures does that you know uh, have any bearing on on the balance of uh, Certainly not the balance of power in the House, but the, the, the balance of the numbers. Are these mostly safe 
uh, seats that we see and they'll just be a new uh, same party or what's your insight into into these actual uh, uh, districts if you will uh, my my preliminary insight would be in looking at the ones we mentioned and, and you know it could change but the ones we mentioned seem to be pretty safe Republican uh, seats for the most part uh, Leo Daughtry's district for sure is is very strong Republican I think uh, Paul Stams is as well Um you know, we don't know who else is gonna gonna stay in or drop out. Um, the Tyne seat uh, up in the north, uh, up in the northeast, and the Outer Banks is one that could that could swing either way. We I mean, haven't Tyne, mentioned uh, Tyne. Oh. Yeah, uh, bring us up to speed. Tyne Sorry about is that. unaffiliated. Um, he is on the only unaffiliated member of the General Assembly. He uh, cited, you know, issues with his family and and being here so long. This session wanted to get home. Uh, uh, to his family, so next year will be his his last year. He's in a very uh, competitive uh, district. He was elected as a Democrat, then switched to unaffiliated. Uh, but Republicans have been elected in that in that um, uh, district as well. Uh, so that's one that could potentially switch from unaffiliated back to Democrat. But that doesn't that's not going to do much for Democrats, really. And of course, Apodaca mentioned uh you know sort of on the fence in some way uh chuck mcgrady maybe uh ben Weird. brown tyne uh mm-hmm. uh bring us uh now tyne now he voted mostly republican you know it, he was a curiosity all session because like like pat said you know going from democrat and then switching his affiliation to no party affiliation at all <clears throat> caucusing with the gop ended up being kind of a curiosity a lot of uh, uh the journalism world was kind of watching him as to how he's going to vote is he actually going to make the full transition over to the gop um, uh, a, a recent member of this uh, podcast team, I think last week, said that he might be a closet Republican. So uh, a lot of eyes on he him. He voted for Republican. that. He voted Republican. Fair to say. If, yeah. if, if you want to, you guys want to go back and recall the uh, pop quiz we did last week, Paul Tyne, uh, his percentages were pretty high voting with um, the majority. So, but, you know, saying that, you know, he, he cited his family and that serving in the legislature comes at a cost, which is something that we've kind of taken a look at uh and we will have something out on i believe sunday uh we've put together a sort of mini documentary of sorts capturing the conversation because it's about to become a daily news story again of the rigors of serving in the legislature does it really invite the every man the everyday working class kind of person to serve or do you have to be retired and wealthy and not much to worry about at that point so that's an interesting topic, yeah. and uh, so you've really gone uh, in-depth on that, mm-hmm. and we'll uh, have uh, some of that on... Uh, actually, you produced a video, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we got a, a video that's uh, several minutes long, speaking with a lot of familiar faces um, with their various takes, and the bottom line is there's no easy answers to the, to the topic of legislator pay and to the timing and length of legislative sessions, but this is going to become a daily news story again pretty soon. Interesting. So look for that. Uh, uh, over the weekend and then, of course, Sunday uh, Dome. So let's take a break and we will be back with our headliners of the week. If you want to be an adoptive parent, it doesn't matter if you're a little different. I'm a box troll. Oh, really? What you look like. Your ears aren't pointy. I slept on them funny. Or what you sound like. Uh, You just need to be there. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care don't need perfection. They just need you. Call 888-200-4005. 
or visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Domecast, our segment now, Headliners of the Week. As you may know, we uh, nominate someone, uh, argue for them, if you will, and uh, I give 45 seconds uh, for the argument, uh, try to beat the bell, although we haven't rung the bell in a while. Um, I guess we're getting better at this. And uh, and then, just for fun, we'll pick somebody, call them the Headliner of the Week. So let's get right to it. Uh, Colin Campbell, tell us who is your headliner of the week. Well, I'm going with State Treasurer Janet Cowell, who uh, surprised a lot of people this week when she announced that she won't be seeking re-election. Uh, it was surprising in part because uh, she'd been floated as a, a possible candidate for U.S. Senate earlier this year, and her response to that speculation was, no, I don't want to run for U.S. Senate. I'm going to run for my treasurer seat again. Uh, she has not said uh, what she's doing next, hasn't even uh, granted any interviews, to my knowledge, other than putting out a statement uh, about her plans. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where she lands next, if she's headed to the private sector. I've heard uh, some speculation she may be going into a, a higher education sort of job that she might be interested in. Uh, but for now, Janet Cowell is uh, is out of politics and uh, lots of potential candidates uh, coming to the surface for the, the treasurer job uh, next year, both among Democrats and Republicans. All right. Ding. Uh, yeah. So there's some uh, mystery, some surprise. Um, and of course, we'll have to see what Janet Cowell uh, does. She did say, I think, that uh, public service wasn't necessarily off the table. So she may be running a foundation or something like that soon. Um, who knows? The UNC presidency uh, might be an option. Um, that one's, uh, like I said earlier, that's an interesting story. All right, let's go now to Craig uh, Jarvis of the News and Observer. Tell us who is your headliner of the week. My headliner nomination is going to be Frank Perry, the secretary of the uh Department of uh, Public Safety for some interesting um, uh, reorganization going on over there. It started with a late addition to the state budget that stripped him of his number two guy, Commissioner of Law Enforcement, eliminated that position. Perry has responded by doing some reorganization uh, that rehired the guy, uh, Greg Baker, a former uh, FBI colleague of his, and in the in the process got rid of two other people, including Lori Dollar. Lori Dollar is the wife of Nelson Dollar, uh, uh, one of the, the top budget writer in the House of Representatives. So a lot of people's eyebrows were raised that this was some kind of payback uh, we haven't really heard heard the, the last chapter in this one yet, so we'll see where that goes. I can't believe that you got all of that explained in uh, just about 45 seconds. <laughs> I can't either. Is a, uh, and surely you've been following that story uh, in the News and Observer, also in The Insider. Um, and the, another, another story with some intrigue to it. So, okay, Frank uh, Perry... Who uh, Frank Perry has only spoken through statements as well. Uh, is that right? C- correct. We haven't heard from him di- directly. They've been uh, kind of uh, cautious on this one. They've, they've not been forthcoming with a whole lot of explanation. Okay, good. So Frank Perry now in the hat as a headliner of the week. Let's go to Benjamin Brown. Benjamin Brown of The Insider. Tell us, who is your headliner of the week? Yeah, this kind of plays into our uh, uh, election coverage, but this is a Republican who was drawing a primary in 2016, uh, Representative Larry Pittman from Cabarrus County, who's considered one of the more conservative members of the legislature. Uh, There is a... uh, 
Um, I believe he's a 32-year-old attorney. His name is Michael Fisher uh, from that district. That's District 82. And um, uh, they're running on a pretty similar platform uh, on a lot of social conservatism, uh, religious protection, and so forth. Uh, but Pittman did say through all this that, uh, that there were some questions as to whether he was going to run again. And he did indeed confirm that he's going to run, but he's got a primary ahead. So, all Larry right. Pittman. Representative. That's correct. Larry Pittman in the hat. As a headliner of the week, uh, let's go to Patrick Gannon of The Insider. Tell us who is your headliner of the week. I'm going to go with uh, Josh Howard, the Republican chairman of the State Board of Elections, who this week sided with the two Democrats on the state board to oust um, the chairman of the Rowan County Board of Elections, who's a who's a Republican. Um the uh, Rowan County chairman, a guy named Mac Butner, had made um, numerous uh, inflammatory posts on Facebook and Twitter about African-Americans, immigrants, um, gays and lesbians. And Josh Howard had some very stern comments at the board meeting yesterday about how he will not stand. He wouldn't stand for that kind of thing in his own home. He wouldn't stand for it in his place of work. And he will not stand for it on his watch at the state board of elections. So he voted with the two Democrats on the board against the other two Republicans to oust uh, Mac Butner. Interesting. So Josh Howard uh, in the hat as a headliner of the week. And let's go now to Taylor Knopf of the News and Observer. Taylor, first uh, time we've heard from you this week's Domecast. How are you? Good. Doing good. Okay. So tell us who is your headliner of the week? Nominating Representative Renee Elmers in the 2nd Congressional District. She has been in the national spotlight a lot recently. She is, uh, there's a rumor going around Washington and the country now that um, her and the favored speaker candidate, Kevin McCarthy from California were having an affair, and uh, that is the reason he stepped out after another representative, Walter Jones from North Carolina, the Republican, suggested that if anybody had skeletons in their closet, that they should probably take themselves out of the leadership running. So, Renee Elmers, and of course, you've been uh, in the district uh, this week and reporting on that. Uh, were you able to uh, talk with her? She has not been available to the press. Her press people have kept her at a distance. They're responding only to matters of uh, her office and campaign. And they do not want to respond to the rumors or anything like that. They just deny them. And it should be clear, uh, you know, really this all, that part of it is an uncorroborated um, uh, report. So, okay, good. So, uh, Renee Elmer's. Uh, definitely has been in the headlines. So she goes into the hopper. Let's see. Uh, that's, I think, it for this week's. Uh, so this is the moment. Let's see. Who will it be? I'll tell you, I'm between uh, Janet Cowell, who uh, did make a lot of headlines uh, this week and uh, had earlier said she was running, had been raising money. But uh, I think the headliner of the week is uh, Josh Howard. Uh, the chairman of the uh, State Board of Elections. And really, um, you know, we've been used to, uh, in North Carolina, a very strong chairman uh, at that position at the State Board. Uh, Larry Leake, for a long time, uh, uh, was clearly uh, in charge there. And Josh Howard, I think, both in the uh, recent uh, hearing uh, involving Fletcher Hartzell, 
a Republican uh, senator, and now also the actions here um, with a 3-2 vote uh, really is making headlines. And so that makes him the headliner of the week. And we thank you for listening. Uh, as always, uh, if you have some feedback, send it to us at um, dome at newsobserver.com. Also, uh, if you are a regular listener, you know that the last couple of weeks we've had a, a, a little bit of a problem with a microphone. We think we've solved that. We'll find out soon enough. So, uh, Anyway, we thank you for listening as always, and we will see you soon. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.